Not I, but Christ, be honoured, love exalted. Not I, but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ, in every look and action. Not I, but Christ, in every thought and word. Hold you Save from myself, dear Lord, hold to be lost in thee, oh, that it may be no more, I, dear Lord, but Christ that lives in me. Christ only, Christ, no only Christ, no needless bustling sound. Christ only Christ, no self-important bearing. Christ only Christ, no trace of I be found. Not I, but Christ, my every need supplying. Not I, but Christ, my strength and health to be. Christ only Christ, for body, soul, and spirit. Christ only Christ, live then thy life in me. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord, oh, to be lost in Thee, oh, that it may be no more, I, dear Lord, but Christ that lives in me. Christ only Christ, ere long will fill my vision. Glory excelling, soon, full soon I'll see. Christ only Christ, my every wish fulfilling. Christ only Christ, my all in all to be. To be saved from myself, dear Lord, oh, to be lost in thee, oh, that it may be no more, I, dear Lord, but Christ that lives in me. Chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. <coughs> Excuse me. Of Luke 7, beginning of verse 1. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. Of course, Capernaum is what they considered his hometown at this point. Um, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, 
they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Whether, therefore, whether ne neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Titled the message this morning, A Man of Faith. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again. The privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. And Lord, I pray that you as we look into the word and pray that you'd speak to our hearts, consider the subject of faith. I pray that the Spirit of God would open our minds and our understanding to receive it, the engrafted word which can save our souls. Help us to grow in our faith and our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's many ideas people have today about faith, or when asked what is their basis for their salvation, often they will say, well, my faith. And many equate faith with knowledge. They're not the same thing. Although saving faith does require the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man and his condition in the sight of God, his sinful state. But saving faith is more than just knowledge. It is a choice. It's an act of the will. In Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now we have here in this passage a great example. And Jesus said, you know, this is, a, this is, this is, this is so great faith I've not heard in Israel. A great example of what real faith is. Now three things I want to mention this morning. First of all, Faith exercised, then faith recognized, and then faith foundation. So we'll look at these. Uh, first of all, faith exercised. Verses 1 through 3 says, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, of course he's talking there about the Sermon on the Mount that he just given in chapters, uh, chapter 6, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. So we see here, he, this, this man exercised faith. It says he heard. He heard. You know, Bible tells us, of course, in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it does come by hearing, but we must choose 
to act on what we hear. You know, oftentimes when, when the Bible uses that word hear, it's referring to not only did they hear it with the ear, but it caused them, they heard it with the heart, it caused them to act. Jesus made this statement quite often, especially in Matthew 13, I think it is. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Uses that phrase similar to that in the book of Revelation, a couple of He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But it also speaks, he also spoke of the Pharisees, though they have ears to hear, they hear not. In other words, they heard, but they didn't act upon what they heard. Here was a man who not only heard it with his ears, he heard it with his heart, he acted on what he heard. And that's really what faith is. It's hearing with your heart or your will. Romans 4, 3 says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. For righteousness. So we see that, Ro- that Abraham uh, is, is, is credited, received the credit for having faith. He acted, his faith was counted for righteousness. Uh, he acted on what he heard. So it is a choice. We have to exercise ourselves upon what we hear. You know, the largest section of Hebrews 11 is given to Abraham. And, and we're told basically there are four things that Abraham did all by faith. And again, it's all things that he did. In other words, you know, he obeyed God's call. He went out not knowing whether he went. That's faith. That is faith. He didn't know where the end was going to be, but he went out knowing that God was telling him to go out, not knowing necessarily the end result. That's Christian living. We're to take it one step at a time. He lived as a pilgrim in a strange land. Uh, In old age... He and Sarah gave birth. He believed God, the Bible tells us. And they gave birth to the promised child. And then by faith again, not knowing how it was going to come about, but he simply believed God's promise that this was the promised child. And so by faith, he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. Believing that God was going to raise him from the dead. Again, he didn't know how the end was going to come out, but he exercised his will upon what he heard God telling him to do. So these were all choices Abraham Abraham made, believing that God could do the invisible. Your Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty seven that 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 Moses endured believing in him who is invisible. God, he knew that God knew the end. God knew how it was going to all come to pass. He just followed him day by day. Now it is true that without the word, we would not be able to have faith. However, your faith is hearing the word and acting on it. 
choosing what we hear. Notice again, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 47. Jesus basically tells us that. He says, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth, so here you have the opposite, somebody that does hear with the ear and doeth them not. So this is, this, is, this is unbelief. This isn't faith. This is unbelief. He does them not. It's like a man. So again, you see these, that faith is an act of the will. You know, in Hebrews 11, what you have is a catalog of people who made choices based on what they heard. So they exercised their faith. This centurion, this centurion exercised faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, he heard, and he made a choice. So, faith, we see faith exercise. Secondly, we see faith recognize. Now, in verses 4 and 5, it says this, And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. Now, the word worthy here means suitable or due a reward or one of, one, one of, of value. And as you think about this, you know, here's a Roman centurion and the elders have come to Jesus. And, and of course, there's a little bit of discrepancy, it seems, between this and Matthew's account. But I think you put them all together, you get a full picture. I think he actually came along with them. But, but they were the ones that besought Jesus on his behalf. But uh, they come to him, these elders come to him and say, he is worthy. Now that's quite a statement when you consider. It's coming from the Jewish leaders who were subjects of the Romans. He's a Roman centurion. A centurion is one that's in charge over a, hundred, a band of a hundred men. But you know, it's, of course, it says he's built our, he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. And archaeologists have, have unearthed this synagogue and it has a, uh, that, that's the, and they even, can, you know, give the name of who this, centu- this centurion was that actually of his own means built a synagogue. You know, so it's evident that this Roman centurion had come to trust in the God of Israel and, and had genuine faith. Uh, in, in the Messiah, Lord Jesus Christ, and this faith was recognized by others. Some of whom probably didn't have genuine faith. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 8. There's an interesting statement there. <clears throat> and I thought, that is, that is so true. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10 says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and from west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. But notice this statement, But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. Probably some of those same elders that came to him saying, hey, he's worthy. Probably themselves weren't believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And hence would be cast out, if you will, of the kingdom. Sometimes we have people who grow up in Bible-believing churches that reject the gospel and end up cast out. God will blot their name out. You know, I mean, God blots your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life when you choose to reject for the last time the Lord Jesus Christ. But here was a man who had genuine faith that was recognized by others. See, faith will be recognized by others. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, speaking of Stephen, it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Procurius and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. You know, it says that twice about Stephen. In chapter 6, verse 8 again, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Speaking of, of uh, Barnabas in Acts 11, 24, it says, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. So this man's faith was well reported of. The centurion's faith was well reported. So secondly, we, faith, we see that faith also recognizes the authority of Christ. Notice verses 6 and 7. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, notice, notice how he dresses him, Lord, he's a centurion, remember, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but I say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. So this, this centurion by faith, recognizes the authority of Christ. Though the centurion is of exalted rank among men, he realizes the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognizes that. Matthew Henry said this in his commentary, quote, he illustrates this faith of his by a comparison taken from his own profession, it is confident that Christ can as easily command away the distemper as he can command any of his soldiers, can as easily send an angel with commission to cure this servant of his as he can send a soldier on an errand. Christ has a sovereign power over all the creatures and all their actions, can change the course of nature as he pleases, can rectify its disorders and repair its decays in human bodies, for all power is given unto him. So he is acknowledging or recognizing that the Lord has power over all creation, over all, all the trials and circumstances of life. That he is superior or he is preeminent even over him. And he is not worthy. You see, faith recognizes the Lord for who he is. That God is all-powerful. That he can blind. You know, think about it. He can blind the violent mob at Sodom. 
He can plague one part of a country and not another. He can divide seas and rivers. He can feed millions with angels' food. He can make a donkey talk, a whale to swallow and then spit up, a raven to feed a man. Raven's a scavenger. He could shut the mouths of lion, uh, take a coin out of a fish to pay his and Peter's taxes. Keep fishing, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> deliver his chosen from the fiery furnace, slaughter 185,000 Assyrians in one night, make the mightiest monarch of all time insane for a moment of time. The walls of Jericho fall down flat. Make a widow's meal and oil fail not. Make the lame to walk, the blind to see, raise the dead, power over demons and hell itself, for he has the keys of death and of hell. You see, this is the one who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we asked or think. And, you know, as you think about all those things I just gave you, these examples, they're all relative to the experiences of men. They had to do with the experiences of men and women. Ecclesiastes 8.4 says this, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? You see, this, this centurion, by faith, recognized the authority that Christ had. He believed that he had the authority over this illness, whatever it was. Thirdly, <clears throat> faith's foundation. What is faith's foundation? Verse 7 says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. And notice this phrase, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go and he goeth, and to another come and he cometh. To my servant do this, and he doeth it. Now, it doesn't, this passage doesn't explicitly say that this centurion had at some point in his life put his his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as, as his Lord and Savior. But it really does. Because he recognizes or acknowledges that Christ has all authority. He has all power. So it's evident to me that he understands this is not just a man, this is God in the flesh. Who can do anything? He says, for just saying a word. You don't have to come just saying a word, and my servant shall be healed. Just saying a word. Again, Romans 10, 17. You know, the, the word of the Lord is the source of our faith. Romans 10, 17. Again, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, that is the source of our faith. Just saying a word. It's simply taking God at his word. Now, 
I remember Bobby Mitchell was here one time, and he had a lot of little sayings, and I wrote some of them down as fast as I could. See, he says, faith does not say it is sensible, but is it scriptural? Faith doesn't ask, what if, but what is written? Faith doesn't ask, is it reasonable, but is it according to divine revelation? Faith doesn't ask, what do people think, but what does God say? Faith doesn't demand proof, faith is the proof. So just say in a word. But as we think about you know, the foundation of faith here, our faith needs to be in the word, in the rightly divided word. And this is where people often go astray. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says study. That word study means to give careful, diligent, uh, diligence to. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So for anything to be a faith, it must be within the context of the whole scripture. So we need to carefully interpret scripture in context lest we end up with a false faith and become disheartened and discouraged and some even turn away. I believe that's why many turn away from the faith, from the truth. It's because they've, they've been taught something that's not right and eventually somewhere along the way they're going to find out it's not right and then they're going to be discouraged. One commentator said this, Sloppy Bible study destroys faith because it does not bring forth good fruit. Faith is destroyed by believing error and false teaching. A typical example is that of a pastor whose faith collapsed when he became ill because he falsely taught that faith could heal. Believing error results in the loss of faith because that error will eventually be revealed. The pastor had a heart attack, was diagnosed as a diabetic. He had members of the church prayed and prayed, but he was not healed. He has been teaching for years that the lack of healing is due to a lack of faith. The pastor preached a false faith healing doctrine. His faith collapsed because it was based on false doctrines, not sound biblical doctrine. Unquote. You see... So our faith must be based, yes, on the word of God, but on rightly dividing the word, rightly understanding it. All you need is just, just believe. Believe what? Does it make a difference? You better believe it makes a difference what you believe. Most of us have heard this. Just invite Jesus into your heart. Where does the Bible say that? It doesn't. It doesn't. It says believe in your heart. Again, that's the idea is there is an act of a will. And I'm afraid that can create a false faith. So we need to study. I mean, it's against the due diligence, to labor, to show, so that we will not be ashamed, not be embarrassed, not be confused. You know, I think this is why a lot of people are not interested in the things of God. 
Just talked to a lady out in visitation this week. And that's kind of the, what's basically what she said. You know, pragmatism, shortcuts, instant Christianity, or this idea that everything will be easy or better. Where does God promise that? Does he promise that everything's going to be easy after you get saved? No, he doesn't promise that. Not trying to discourage this morning, but he doesn't promise that in this life. What he does promise is that we can have assurance of eternal life. We can have peace with God, but that does not mean we're going to have peace with man. In fact, many times when a person gets saved, they find out they have a lot of enemies. The devil all of a sudden has gone to war against you. And he's got a lot of... His forces are very many and multiple. We have the promise of peace with God and that he will never leave us nor forsake us so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So, so we need to, you know, your faith's foundation is the word of God. You know, the servants, uh, the, the, the centurion simply said, say in a word. And so we need to take God at his word. That's what faith is. Taking God at his word. Go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. <clears throat> we see some examples of faith here. Matthew 14 verse 22. And, and straightway Jesus constrained. That means he compelled. He compelled them. Or he kind of pushed them off. Constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up in the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. So no, the disciples are exactly where Jesus sent them, but there's, it's stormy. There's a problem. There are circumstances that are not ideal. <laughs> They're fearing for their lives. And he, of course, appears to them walking on the sea. And, and again, in verse uh, 28, it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. And he said, Come. And as Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. So he, again, he, he acted on what the word of the Lord said. Now, God has never told any of us to walk on the water. So don't think just because Peter did that we can. And I don't find anywhere where he told us to heal the sick and raise the dead. Paul did. Peter did. Jesus did. So again, you have to be careful to interpret Scripture or rightly divide Scripture in its context. So, faith's foundation is the word of God. We need to simply 
obey what the word of the Lord says. You know, a good illustration of just living by faith. This was Chris Shaw. His pastor passed away back in December, I think it was. And he wrote a little tribute on his blog to his pastor. He called him Preacher. And this is what he said. Preacher was a man of prayer. Before each service, I would go into his office and we would pray together. When he prayed, you could feel the presence of the Lord. He spent time on his knees. I always knew he was praying for us. I believe his prayers helped us through some really hard times on the mission field. When we first arrived in Greenland and had no housing, no money, Carol was eight months pregnant, I called Preacher from a payphone in town. I broke down on the phone to him. He reminded me that we were bringing the gospel to land in darkness, and the devil was not happy about it. And then he said these words, quote, Put one foot in front of the other. One day at a time. And he said, we're still following that advice. See, that's what faith is. It's simply taking God at his word, even when we don't understand. And putting one foot in front of the other. Just simply obeying him. Trusting him to work out the problems, the trials, the difficulties. Giving us strength to overcome all those things. Are you a person of faith? Do you really trust the Lord? Are you really resting in his promise and obeying his word? Again, Jesus said, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them. You see, faith is hearing and, and then doing. It's an act of the will. You know, it takes faith to trust him in salvation. But that same faith gives us victory and helps us or enables us to walk with him and obey him in daily life. If you can't trust him for daily life, kind of faith do you have? Faith. Are you a person of faith? 